So today I want to begin with a song to introduce what we're going to talk about. It comes from the band U2 who have some Christian beliefs, which they include in their songs like this one. It's that last line in the title of the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, that was part of a letter written to Pastor Rick Warren. And the letter went something like this. Hey, I heard your radio program, so I thought you might be able to help me with my dilemma. I'm sure you're familiar with the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that line, it could be the theme of my life which is kind of strange since I've already achieved what most people spend their whole lives trying to work for. My success has come as an investment banker. It's given me multiple homes. It's given me nice cars, all the luxuries you'd expect. I'm married to a great woman. I have two awesome kids that I adore, and I also have great health. And all of this came amazingly at so much younger in age than I ever could have hoped for. But to be honest, I'm just not as happy as I think I should be. And to be honest, I'm often restless. I'm bored. I'm very unsatisfied with my life. Sometimes at night I feel hollow and I feel empty and I can't sleep. And I keep thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. And so what do you think I should do? And so Warren's response is, You know, there's an entire book in the Bible about this. It's called Ecclesiastes. It's written by another guy who had it all. His name was Solomon. And Solomon writes this book. It's kind of a midlife crisis. It's kind of a downer book until you get to the end. And there it kind of points to God. But Solomon says, I decided that my life was empty and it didn't have a whole lot of meaning. I didn't feel very fulfilled. Although I've got all these good things going on in my life, I'm just not satisfied. So Solomon starts off a search in which he tries all these different things to bring fulfillment and satisfaction to him. And every one of them ends up in a dead end. He starts off the first chapter which says, I tried education. I read everything that I could read. I learned everything I could learn. And I realized I was still empty. And then he said, I decided I'd go after great accomplishments. And so I set some big goals. You know, I became king of my country. I started off all sorts of public work projects, doing all these good things. I racked up all these great accomplishments, and still it left me empty. So then I thought, maybe money's the answer. So I went after more money. I went out and amassed this enormous fortune. And Solomon became the wealthiest man in the world at that time. Solomon said, I bought all sorts of things and I invested in all these arts and all these other things. Still left me empty. And he thought, maybe life is all about having fun. So Solomon said, I just started partying. I just started having a good time with all these thrills. And I invested in wine and women and song. I partied to my heart's content. But he said, it still left me empty. So let me just stop here and say, take it from Solomon. He had everything. Take it from the guy who wrote the letter to Rick Warren that Whatever someone tells you is going to bring you ultimate satisfaction in your life and it's going to make you really, really happy in the long run in your life. Just understand that it's not so. 
Yet so many people work so hard. We invest so much of our lives, so much of our energy, so much of our hopes and dreams to get what we think is going to make us happy and satisfied, only to find out that that hunger inside that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for is still so much there. Let me switch gears for just a minute here. Let me ask you, have you ever been watching TV and you get up and you go to the kitchen and you know you're hungry from something, you're not sure what it is, and you just kind of wander around looking and looking and looking and nothing really seems appealing though. And so whatever I take back to sit down and watch TV and munch on never really satisfies me. And the other half of the time I just go back empty because I can't figure out what it is. But Jesus... Jesus, on the other hand, says having spiritual hunger is not at all like that. Actually, having spiritual hunger is a really good thing. Jesus said staying spiritually hungry is the path to blessed living. Staying spiritually hungry is a path to a blessed life. So in Matthew 5, 6, in the New International Version, Jesus says this in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. The word filled there is translated in the New Century Version as fully satisfied. In other words, those with a hunger and thirst will live a full life, will live a fulfilled life. But you may notice something's missing, and that's the key. The key is hungering and thirsting for a particular thing. And that particular thing is righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So what is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? Well, frankly, righteousness appears a couple hundred times in the Bible. And the Bible tells us all sorts of things about righteousness. The Bible tells us that God is righteous. It tells us that God's word is righteous. It tells us that God founded the universe and his kingdom on righteousness. It tells us that God loves righteousness. He rewards righteousness. The Bible tells us that Noah was righteous, that Abraham was a righteous man. He even tells us that there were two righteous brothers in the Bible. Not these guys, although some would say that their singing was righteous, the righteous brothers. But more like the brothers Andrew and Peter. They were Jesus' disciples. And so, what does the word mean? Well, someone said that if you actually looked up righteousness in the Bible, amazingly, you would find it 200 times. But if you looked it up in a theological dictionary you would find 27 pages on what righteousness is. And so what we want to do this morning is not read 27 pages of that, but you can actually summarize it into just a couple of things. And the first of those things is a relationship. And concerning righteousness, the relationship there means simply being right with God. The encouraging thing about this we see in Romans 1.17 in the New Century Version, because it talks about there the good news. And you notice the words there in that scripture are capitalized. And there the old English words, if you were to translate them, is gospel. Gospel, we've heard that word many times, have we? In Christian faith, simply means good news. But notice with it being capitalized, it's not just any old good news. If someone says, hey, I have some good news for you, what do you do? Well, you open your ears and then you kind of open your hearts to what it might be then we do that anticipating that there's going to be this encouragement or this delight or this good news that's coming to us in some way is going to be wonderful. And so after we hear it, we may comment on it. We may savor it for a while. We may share it with others. That's a very good thing. But sadly, when time 
And the impact of that good news, it, it does what? It fades away. It fades from our focus. And it's here today, and typically it's gone the next day, or the next week, or the next month. But the good news that Romans 1.17 tells us about is completely different. We read, the good news shows how God makes himself right with us. Notice it doesn't say that we make ourselves right with him, but rather how God makes you right with him. It's incredibly good news since he's perfect and we are so very far from it. That makes good news that he's talking about off the charts. So what do you do? We open our ears to it. We open our hearts to it. And then we do receive with it incredible encouragement, unending delight. And thus we're to savor it. But unlike any regular old good news we receive from time to time, God's good news is not to fade from our focus. God's good news is to be constant. We're to think of it and savor it and delight in it all the time. That's why it's incredibly good news. God makes us right with him. And he does that not just for the moment, but he makes it for the long haul. He makes us right with him forever. And that's the relationship side of righteousness But how about the lifestyle side of righteousness, the other side of it? That is living right with God as he created us. So righteousness means being right with God, living right with God. It's about both position and practice. 1 John 2, 29 in the message tells us all who practice righteousness are God's true children. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? He asked his dad for the inheritance. And so his dad gave it to him, and he went off, and he left his dad and his family just like he was an orphan, like he didn't care. And so he squandered all of his fortune, and then he ended up empty. In his emptiness, he then longed for his father, and he returned to his father. And so, you see, being a child of God, having God as your father is enormously beneficial. It's an enormously blessed thing. The reason that we don't live more satisfied lives or more fulfilled lives has a lot to do with the quality of our spiritual hunger for God. Practically, some of us don't have a very big appetite for God. And so if you don't have a big appetite, as we already mentioned this morning, then you don't really want to partake of it, and you don't really want to be nourished from it either. And so how do we stay spiritually hungry? That's a really big question. D is one of life's biggest questions. Is how do I maintain my spiritual hunger for God for the rest of my life? So that tomorrow I want to know God more than I do today. Or maybe next week I I want to be closer to God than I am now. Next year I want to be wiser in the things of God. And five years from now I want to see the world through God's eyes a whole lot more than I want to see it through mine. So how do I maintain that spiritual appetite? Well, there are actually four keys to spiritual hunger in order for us to stay spiritually hungry. And the first is to remind myself of how much God loves me. And the truth is we need to do this every day. You need to get up in the morning and say to God, God, help me to remember how much you love me. Because the more you understand that God loves you, the more you're going to love God. There was this guy, and he said, you know, I don't really feel that close to God, or I don't feel I need to be close to God. I guess I just don't love God enough. And the person he was talking to said to him, it's not that you don't love God enough. It's just that you don't realize how much God loves you. Because if you did, if you just got a glimpse of how much God loves you, if you got a glimmer of how much God loves you, you would not be able to help and love him back. We see in Ephesians 3.18, in the New Century Version, I pray that you have the power to understand 
the greatness of Christ's love and how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. You see, that's the Apostle Paul, the writer of this in Ephesians. That's his prayer for you. And that needs to be our prayer for ourselves. You say, God, today, this very day, help me to see and to understand how awesomely great and incredible your love is for me. Not only that, but we continue in verse 19, in the New Living Translation, it says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for you to fully understand. In other words, we're not only to understand as much as we're able that God loves us in an intellectual or an academic way, but we're also to experience God's love and the love of Christ in a real way, in a life-impacting way each day. It's kind of like someone tells you about how great a movie is. I mean, how many times have we heard that? And you can hear it from lots and lots and lots of folks, and so you understand that. It's a great movie. But it doesn't really do much for you until you get to experience that movie for yourself. Then your understanding moves beyond what other people say to what you now know and have experienced for yourself. And it's the same way with God's love. We're not only to pray to understand how great God's love is, but we're to pray that we want to experience it. We want to feel God's love. We want to be guided by God's love. We want to be comforted by God's love. We want to be encouraged by God's love today and every day. But how many of us really pray that way? Lord, help me understand and to greatly experience you and your love in my life today. Now, in praying that, to understand and experience God's love, you know what's going to happen? going to bring more and more of that love to you and it will become more and more a reality in your life one that you can anticipate one that you can desire one you can savor one you can delight in every day and then continuing in ephesians 3 19 we read then you will be made complete with all the fullness and the power that comes from god then you'll live a fully satisfied life because your hunger for god is not the something else in your life. It's not for those things that won't satisfy you in life, but it's for what really does satisfy. And so the key is to remind myself of how much God loves me. And the second key to staying spiritually hungry is to stop filling up on spiritual junk food. You are a God-shaped person, and you have a God-shaped hole in you, and you have a God-shaped hunger in you that only God can fill. And you can try to fill it with all sorts of things. You can try to fill it with salary or success. You can try to fill it with position or power or prestige. You can try to fill it with anything other than God. And what's going to happen is not going to be fulfilling. If you're not hungry for God, it may be because you're full of yourself or it may be because you're full of something else. And when you're full of yourself, when you're full of something else, you're not going to have that hunger for God. Proverbs 15, 14 in the New Living Translation tells us, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while a fool feeds on trash. If you're not hungry from God, it's time to take some of the things from your mind and eliminate those things. Because if you're always thinking about something other than God, you're not going to have a whole lot of time, a whole lot of room, a whole lot of hunger for God in your life. If I'm always thinking about my sport or my favorite team, or politics, or the next thing that I can go buy, or money, or how I manage things, or anything else, I won't have a hunger for God, because I'm feeding on those things. Have you ever noticed when you went out to eat that if they bring you appetizers, you can do what? 
You can fill up on the appetizers before the main meal comes. And then you're not hungry for it at all, where the real nourishment is. So the chips and the salsas and the little pieces of bread in life can fill you up instead of the nourishment and the fullness of life that God wants for you. God says in Isaiah 55, 1, in the New Century Version, all who are thirsty come by and eat. And look at the next verse. Why spend your money on something that's not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good and your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. During the the great famine in China, there literally was no food available for people to eat. So people actually took a kind of edible soil and they figured out how to make bread out of this edible soil. They would bake it. They would eat it. It had no nutritional value at all. And it would fill them up. But it had no vitamins, had no minerals, had no protein, no carbohydrates, no fat. It had no nutritional value to it at all. It filled them up. But you know, at the very same time, they were starving to death. Same thing happened in Australia during the Great Depression there. People had no food. They started making porridge out of this pot of a very common fern that grew there. And the only problem was it had no nutritional value either. And so people were dying of starvation on full stomachs. Truthfully, that's kind of a metaphor about us spiritually today. We are people with stomachs full of all sorts of things, yet we're starving to death spiritually in some ways because we're eating spiritual junk food. We're full of all the best things in life, but we are only temporarily satisfied so that some of us are silently starving without really realizing it spiritually. Now, daughter Charlie gives my wife Patty and I, every year for Christmas, a whole bunch of gift cards for restaurants, which is really, really cool. So Patty and I have a habit we do, a tradition. Fridays when we go out to eat, she goes to the box where all the cards are, and she goes, what are you hungry for? Chili's, Applebee's, Steak and Shake, Denny's, you can tell we have a very sophisticated palate, or maybe Bob Evans or Pizza Hut. We know we're hungry, we're just not sure what we want. So I want to ask you that question. What are you hungry for? Because whatever you're most hungry for is determining the destiny of your life. If you're hungry to get more money or to make your way to a store to buy something new, I hate to tell you that's not enough. It's not enough to ultimately satisfy you over a long period of time or satisfy you eternally. And if you're hungry to pursue your favorite sport, like paddleboarding or surfing or golf or whatever, It's not enough to ultimately satisfy you over a long period of time and certainly not to satisfy you eternally. If you're hungry for your next vacation or your next big trip somewhere, it's not going to satisfy you long term. It's not going to satisfy you eternally. Just ask Solomon. Now, Solomon, remember, was a guy that had everything. Just ask the investment banker who wrote that letter. He had it all, but still he couldn't find what he was really looking for. So, friends, stay hungry. Stay spiritually hungry and remind yourself daily of how much God loves you. Remind yourself daily not to fill up on the spiritual junk food and then make knowing God your number one goal in life because your number one goal is not satisfaction. Your number one goal in life is not happiness. It's seeking God, not those things. Here's the really interesting thing about that, though. All of those things are byproducts of knowing God. Happiness is a byproduct of knowing God. Fulfillment is a byproduct of knowing God. And if you read the Psalms, you'll see King David 
who also had everything in his time, he said this over and over and over again, God, I really want to know you. And how passionate David was about that. He wrote this in Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land. And the truth is that some of you are going through a desert right now. Because that's where David was when he wrote that. He was in the desert of Judah. So maybe you're at a desert place in your job. It's all dried up. Or maybe you're in a desert in a certain relationship. Or maybe you're in a desert financially. So what do you do when you're in a desert? Cry out for God. You thirst for God. You hunger for God so that he can fill you. In Matthew 6.33 in the New Century Version, Jesus says this, The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. All these other things you need will be given to you. That's so very true. So seek the source, not the byproduct. Because the byproduct never comes without the source. Seek the real thing. Seek God first in your life and the fulfillment and satisfaction will follow. Now to stay spiritually hungry, one more thing I want to share with you. And that's to get into God's word each day, every day. Because this is your soul food, literally food for your soul. And the Bible refers to God's word as milk and as bread and as honey and as meat. Jesus even says in Matthew 4, 4, we don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's where the real nourishment comes from, from the Bible, from the word of God, from the mouth of God. And it feeds our hearts, it feeds our souls, it feeds our minds at the deepest levels. First Peter 2, 2 and 3 in the New Living Translation tells us, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You do that craving and you do that crying out, as we said, not by sitting on your hands each day, but by reminding yourself daily about how much God loves you. Stop filling up with junk food. Make knowing God your number one priority, your number one goal. And by picking up your Bible and letting God speak to you through it, feeding your life and feeding your soul through it. Never done this before? If you're not sure how to get started in doing that, and you feel like a plan for this, then pick up one of these reading guides. A lot of you already have them. I hope you're using them. But if you'd like to have a plan or you'd like to get started doing that, then pick up one of these guides. Because what this is, it's your menu for daily nourishment from God. Because eating once a week, how healthy is that going to keep you? Not very. You need to eat every day. You need to be nourished from the Word of God on your own every day. So we started this morning with U2's musical question about not knowing what I'm looking for. I want to close with a musical answer to that question concerning the filling of that God-shaped hole and that God-shaped hunger that he has placed in each of us. This is by a contemporary Christian artist called Plum, and it comes at the end of the song. Listen for it.
So as you've heard today in God's word, and as you've heard in the song, for all your life's empty longings, for all your feelings that something is missing, for all your soul's restlessness, please know only God can fill that hunger. So stay spiritually hungry for him. Stay spiritually thirsty for him. And God says that all your emptiness will be filled. Please pray with me. Great God, we thank you so much for the fact that in our longings in life, our struggles, our difficulties, that sense that we all have from time to time, is this all there is? Help us to realize, Father, that when we feel those things, we are not really focused on you so much as we're focused on ourselves, on other things that we think are going to help or think can make a difference. So, Father, help us to understand that the most precious thing in life is our hunger for you. And help us to look to you each day. Help us to lift up in prayer, Father, that you would help us to see and experience your love in our lives in a powerful way each day. Help us to resist that spiritual junk food, Father. Help us to look to your word every day, Father, making you the number one priority in our life. And as we do that, the byproduct of that is all the things that we think we want most, the happiness and the fulfillment and the meaning in our lives. And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us to go to the source, you, and not look just for the byproducts. And so we ask your help in that and your presence in our lives in a life-transforming way every day. May we seek that and delight in that and savor that as we receive it from you, Father. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.